Good to see you this morning. Grateful that you're here. I'm excited to consider uh, God's Word in a new series this morning called The Apostles' Creed. And uh, grateful that you're here to consider these truths, not only this morning, but uh, for the rest of the year, we'll be considering uh, an old, but for some of you, a familiar creed, going line by line and looking at how that short little statement or that short line points us back to God's Word and points us to who God is and, and really summarizes our faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning as we consider the Apostles' Creed, I've got a lot of info to, to share with you regarding the Creed, but want to consider really just the, the theme of this entire series that we've uh, brought to your attention in, in the title, We Believe. And I want to ask you that, that uh, or a question in, in that light uh, what do you believe? What do you believe? I mean, that can apply to you spiritually. You could answer that question spiritually. You could answer that question uh, physically. Um, you could answer that question uh, regarding food. I believe pizza is wonderful. Amen? No? Okay. Well, you could say a host of other things. You could say that you believe this or that happened in history because you uh, took history in elementary school and you know uh, this person was president or this war happened and you know those things because of historical facts. So, so ask yourself for a question, just what do you believe? If you answered that question spiritually, you might give a host of facts and truths about who God is and who Jesus is. But that question is very different than, than this question. What do you believe in? So you can ask one question, what do you believe? And then a whole different question, what do you believe in? Because I believe that pizza is really good. But I do not believe in pizza. I do not trust in pizza. I do not put my hope in pizza. Uh, I, I do not state my life on pizza or anything like that. And the same is true about other historical facts. You can believe certain things to be true, um, but you don't necessarily believe in all of those, those facts. This morning, you've proved that you are a, a people of faith, not only by gathering here to worship the Lord on a Sunday morning, but you've proven in your obedience to Pastor Graham's words in, in saying you may be seated, you proved that you not only believe that your chair will hold you and that chairs in general hold you, but you proved that you believe in that chair that you're sitting in because you actually sat in it. You actually trusted it to actually hold your, your weight. You may not believe the chair next to you. I, I'm not sure about that, but I know you believe the one you're sitting in because you sat in it. So you, you can see the difference there. Well, one of the neat things about the Apostles' Creed is that it's, it's very specific. It, it doesn't say we believe God is this. It says we believe in the God who is this and has done these things. And that's, that's totally different than, um, than believe, just simply believing these facts. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is, is an old creed, and, and I'm sure some of you are more familiar than others with this creed. Uh, some of you may have grown up memorizing it. Um, reciting it, maybe in your homes, maybe at church. Uh, and so you may be more familiar than some of us who didn't memorize it as a kid or, or recite it at church. And, and yet, this series in this, uh, looking at this creed that will then point us back to God's Word, will point us uh, to look at God's Word and consider who God is and what He's done, uh, this creed really is a summary of the essentials of uh, our faith as Christians. 
It, it doesn't say everything that we believe as Christians, but it says everything we need to believe to be Christians. And so, do we as the Fields Church, uh, as a Baptist church, believe more than this creed? Yes. Do we believe, can we believe less than this creed and still be a Christian? No. We can't. And this creed gets at the very heart and root uh, of what Christianity is. And so, in a day and age when people are fact-checking checking everything and um, s- dispelling what they call truth uh, left and right, and when people are making decisions uh, for themselves, not based on truth or fact, but based on what they feel to be right or what they feel to be true in that moment or uh, that day, what they hope to be right, uh, th- this is important. In, in a day and age when people are not only doing that for their own lives, but they're even taking Christianity and redefining it to mean something radically different than it has meant for thousands and thousands of years. Um, This is important for us to remember uh, who God is, what He has done, who we are as the people of God who have repented of our sins and believed in Jesus Christ. These things are important for us, for uh, for us to be able to know as we go out into the world who is and who is not a Christian. Uh, I think the next few months in this series will not only highlight and dive deeper into some very specific truths about God, but it will also help us be aware of those who don't believe these things to be true and how to converse with them, how to um, share with them uh, what we actually believe. Uh, for, for example, or for practical point, if someone were to come to you and to say, uh, oh, you're a Christian, well, what do you believe? Would you have a quick answer on the spot for them? Would you have a good summary of your Christian doctrine and faith to be able to pass on to, to those other other people. The Apostles' Creed is a helpful summary. It's a helpful summary of the doctrines of God's Word and what Christians have believed for thousands of years. But but I want you to know I'm not preaching this creed for the next few weeks. I'm going to let this creed point us back to God's Word, and I'm going to preach God's Word to us. Because as Gabe read from Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There was a time when there was not an Apostles' Creed. Uh, But there has not been a time when there has not been God's Word. God's Word is is eternal. Um, It has always been, it is, and it will always be. And the same is true of Christ Jesus, uh, who is the eternal Son of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our hope as pastors and as those who preach for us through this series, our aim and our goal will be to use the creed as kind of a diving board, if you will, line by line to jump back into God's Word and to consider what the Lord has for us this day. Because this creed really does point us back to the essential truths of uh, of the New Testament, the essential truths of the apostles. It's a powerful and unifying and clarifying statement that we can agree on these things. As Paul wrote to the Christians in the first century in Ephesians 2.19, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. As a church, we are a church built on Christ Jesus and His Word. This creed is no different. It's built on the foundation of Christ Jesus and 
His Word. And so we want to consider it. But you may, you know, think to yourself, well, I don't need a creed. I just need the Bible. You just give me the Bible and, and I'm good to go. Uh, and I hear you. But when you say that, uh, you're, in a sense, making a creed of your own uh, in saying, no creed but the Bible. That's your creed. Uh, creed is uh, 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 from the Latin word credo, which simply means I believe. So you're saying, I believe in the Bible alone. And, and you're making a, a statement much like the Apostles' Creed. It's a good one, too. I believe the Bible. That we're, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, according to the Scriptures alone. That's good. Um, but these creeds are helpful. They, they can be very helpful to be able to uh, do a couple different things. If you look back in history, creeds, confessions, catechisms, uh, they were all written to do a couple different things depending on the time in which they were written. Some creeds, confessions, catechisms were written to confess truth, to take uh, God's Word, to summarize it, to succinctly uh, share it with new believers, um, to share it with those growing in their faith. So it was used to confess truth at times. It was also used to uh, correct error. Um, creeds, confessions, and, and catechisms at certain times were written specifically to come against heresy and wrong teaching that had crept up in the church to be able to say, that's not what we believe, we believe this. And, and you can read about those throughout church history. The Apostles' Creed is one. The Nicene Creed is, is another that happened in 325 and also adapted in 381. Um, when, when a heresy in believing that um, Jesus uh, was not both God and man, another creed was written to be able to speak to the fact that they believed that Jesus was both God and man. And so that's what creeds, that's what confessions were used at time. We still have uh, newer confessions of the faith that we as a church align with and hold fast to that speak to uh, things in even more detail than the Apostles' Creed. And they, they're helpful. They speak to truths to differentiate us as Baptists from Presbyterians or from Methodists uh, or from Episcopalians uh, or whatever it may be, Roman Catholics. Uh, those confessions and creeds are important for us. For while we can... For, for many of us as Christians, we can agree on the Apostles' Creed and all be Christians. It would be much harder for us to do church together and to do life together, uh, for we have a very different interpretation of the Bible in regards to baptism, in regards to the church, in regards to some of those other practical things that, that determine what the, happens in the life of a church. And so confessions are good. We, we have several uh, as a church that we hold fast to, and they define uh, not only for us and hold us where we ought to be, um, but they also define to the world who we are and what we, what we believe uh, regarding uh, Christ Jesus. A creed, unlike God's Word, it has no power in and of itself. A creed, no creed is inspired. No creed is inerrant. No creed is authoritative, like God's Word. No creed is sufficient, like God's Word. But God's Word is all of those things and more. And so we're going to use the creed to preach the Bible, to proclaim the Bible, to rest on God's Word. Uh, thankfully, though, the Apostles' Creed has uh, lasted 2,000 years almost, and so it's pretty trustworthy that uh, some have not found errors in it uh, to be able to bring up and it been thrown out. Uh, 
because it really does focus on those essentials. In fact, it was uh, so used early on not only to uh, define truth and to correct error, but it was used by those who came to faith in Jesus as their um, declaration of faith at their baptism. It would be used to disciple new Christians in the faith and exactly what they believe in those uh, early years of the church in the midst of the Roman Empire. J.I. Packer wrote in his book, which I commend to you, about the Apostles' Creed, he says that it seems that every congregation of any size in the second and third centuries had its ongoing instructional classes for teaching Christianity to those who wished to learn. The course usually lasted <clears throat> three years and always climaxed with confession of faith and solemn baptism on Easter Eve, followed by First Communion on Easter Day. And the confession was made with the words of the creed. It's interesting to think about that Christians nearly 2,000 years ago were using this creed to confess their faith in Jesus when they publicly declared their faith and illustrated that in baptism by going under the water and being raised uh, up out of the water, picturing Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and uh, would recite this creed before those watching uh, in that day and age. So this, this creed is going to help us uh, in, in several ways. It, it is, as we have said, you've heard many of you in our membership class, uh, a, a line out of the Reformation that says, in the essentials, we're to have unity. In the non-essentials uh, of the faith, there will be diversity. And yet in all things, there ought to be charity. Uh, well, this goes beyond the scope of our church, and it says, in these essentials, all Christians ought to have unity. And that we as Baptists and Presbyterians and, and others, uh, in the non-essentials, we may have diversity. Nevertheless, we ought to have charity towards all those, uh, especially those who are of the household of faith, the Bible says that agree with us in regards to these things. Ephesians 4 was a, a passage that, um, that I have been mindful of. In fact, Joy noted it as in my preparation regarding this series in the Apostles' Creed. In Ephesians chapter 4, in 4 through 6, regarding the unity that we have in Christ Jesus and in these things that the Apostle Creed succinctly and uh, succinctly summarizes. Ephesians 4, verse 4 says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul gave us a great almost creedal-like statement in Ephesians chapter 4, in 4 through 6. But he would go on to say that, that Christ Jesus, in, in verse 11, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until, listen, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." That sounds like that could be written in our day and age. Deceitful schemes, craftiness, waves uh, going to and fro, uh, being carried about by winds of, of doctrine. Uh, God's Word is, is showing us here, this Apostle Creed has proved to be 
right on the essentials that we must believe, that we must hold fast to, that, that we may uh, hold not only for unity, but so that we may also grow up in maturity. Uh, yes, this is a creed that our children could memorize and should memorize, as I will challenge you to memorize during our, our series. But it's one that you could continue to press deeper and deeper in attempting to understand uh, what this creed was actually trying to get across to us. In one sense, this creed is uh, a catechism of sorts. You know what a, a catechism is? M- many of you may have grown up in a, in a Roman Catholic home and um, gone through catechism, or maybe you have been around a little bit, you've had children, you've seen on our book stall uh, on the way in uh, the New City Catechism, and if you haven't, I'd encourage you to grab one of those if we have any left, and for you as parents or even young believers or even old believers uh, to grab a copy and to go through that book. It, it's a, a catechism is a question and answer format um, statement of faith, if you will. Um, and funny enough, a couple weeks ago, Joy's father was visiting us, and we were in our family worship time, and in the midst of our irregular but consistent uh, family worship time, we are trying to memorize one of those questions, and we're on like question 42 or so out of the 52 questions in that book. And I was getting ready to ask the question, and I told Joy and Megan's father, we're about to do our catechism. Dad, were you catechized as a young child? And he looked at me with eyes wide open and was like, that's kind of personal, don't you think? And I was like, no, catechized, not, you know, the other one. So we had a good laugh, but it was a good opportunity to, to realize not everyone went through a process of catechism as a child. Uh, a question and answer to be able to know who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, um, all of those kinds of things. So I, I commend that book to you, but I also commend this uh, sermon series to you as a sort of catechism, going through line by line, looking at uh, these different doctrines of who God is and what God has done, or who Jesus is and what He has done, or who the Holy Spirit is and who we are as the church. Uh, it'll be a helpful series if you'll stick with us and, and uh, dive into it and memorize it uh, a- along with us. But essentially, the creed, the Apostles' Creed, it, it gives us the gospel. It gives us those things that Paul said he delivered to the Corinthian church of utmost importance in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. Uh, this is what the Apostles' Creed uh, does for us. It gives us those essential truths of what it means to be a Christian. And if you don't know the creed, then we've got resources coming uh, to put in your hand. We've got uh, the creed uh, to recite later at the end of our service um, together. Uh, but I want to read it for you. I want to recite it for you now uh, to be able to hear it. And, and I just want to consider two words in it. Not even one line this morning, but just two words uh, in the creed this morning. But the creed, it, it goes like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, He descended to hell, and on the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. It's a powerful statement. It's a short statement. Uh, one worthy of memorizing and meditating on. Uh, in fact, if you pick up that catechism book, it is one of the questions uh, to be able to memorize that. And there's plenty of aids to help you memorize that. Songs uh, that, will, that can, will help you word for word or even songs that will help you get at the theme. But I wonder if in me reciting that to you, your ears perked up at a couple lines. Like a couple lines you were probably like, oh yeah, of course. And then a, maybe a couple other lines or maybe a word or two you were kind of like saying, what? I didn't know we both... Can I say that? Uh, what does that mean? We're going to talk about a couple, all of these lines as we go. I just want to mention two of the lines that may have perked your ears. Um, we've got notes on this on our website um, to, for anyone that might have read that over the years and you know, had their ears perk up. Um, the two lines that most often perk people's ears and made your eyes kind of, huh, when I said it, uh, were that he descended to hell or that we believe in the holy Catholic church. And so let me just give just a few minutes to that so that the rest of, you don't have to wait until, you know, week 10 or whatever uh, to be able to figure out what we, what we think on that. When we say that Jesus descended into hell and that we believe that he descended into hell, it's important to note something that I have learned in the midst of this series, not only how to apply that rightly, but learn that that phrase was actually not even in the earliest copies of the Apostles' Creed uh, until about the, the 600s or so. And so some would even just leave that line out, and that would be, that would be fine. In my family, we change the words. Uh, because when you say that Jesus descended to hell, that brings all kinds of questions up in uh, people's mind. And it takes a bit of uh, theological discussion to be able to explain that. But what we're really saying in that is that Jesus descended to the dead. That Jesus, in fact, really did die. It wasn't a hoax. And he didn't kind of like somewhat die and part of him died, but not all of him died. And we're saying that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and he descended to the dead. He really did die. Uh, our English Bibles don't help us uh, considering this question and this line because they uh, translate uh, the, the word Hades and Sheol, both in Greek and in Hebrew, sometimes as the place of the dead, sometimes as hell. But they're not talking about Gehenna, which is the hell or the lake of fire. They're talking about the place of the dead, of which we happen to sing about, actually, uh, in Graham's Hebrews 11 song. Those who preceded us by faith and died before they ever got to experience the blessings and the promises of the Messiah and the Savior coming, they went to Sheol, the place of the dead, until God would return. Um, New Testament would call that place Hades, the place of the dead. And so what this creed is really saying is that Jesus went to the place of the dead. He really did die. He was crucified, dead, and buried. It's not saying that Jesus went to the eternal place of torment called the lake of fire or Gehenna, as we will know, as that will be a place that will come at the end times when Christ returns. And so, if you're memorizing it, my encouragement to you might be to, to as we did in our family, especially with kiddos, 
It's to say that Jesus descended to the dead. A simple little uh, substitution there. The other one uh, that may have perked your ears even more than that is actually an easier one to explain when we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Those of you who come from a Roman Catholic background and have con- converted to um, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, are like, wait a second. I thought I left that and came to, to trust in Christ uh, and salvation by grace, not by works. Why am I saying now I believe in the Holy Catholic Church? But what I'd encourage you to note there in the creed, and it's still on there on the screen, Catholic, hopefully we did this right, Graham. Yes. It's a little C. It's a little C Catholic. Not a capital C Catholic that specifically speaks of the Roman Catholic Church. When you use the little C Catholic word, all that really means is universal, worldwide. And so we're saying that we believe in one universal church, one worldwide church. In fact, as a creed, as a family, when we recite this uh, on that catechism question or parenting insight, when I'm brushing my kids' teeth and reciting it to them, we'll say uh, that we believe in the holy worldwide church. Uh, that explains to our kids better there. So just a couple notes that I hope when we get to those, we can talk about it in even more detail, but wanted to be able to give uh, those notes to you. But let me just consider two words. Uh, it's two words. I questioned, questioned you earlier on, what do you believe? And I love that this creed, it starts with that phrase, I believe, or in the Latin, credo. It's our creed. And it, it's not just there once. It's there multiple times in the creed saying that these are things that I individually believe. But when we say them together as a church, as those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's us together saying we believe in these things. And it's a great uh, unifying opportunity for us to have over the next several months uh, as we in the past series in Romans had our benediction at the end of Romans chapter 16. We now want to have our benediction in individually saying, I believe these things, but corporately together saying, we believe these things as we go out into the world. And not only out into the world, but it's a testimony for those guests that are here with us or those who are really just wondering, what do I believe? Do I believe all of these things? To be able to consider that, to give them an opportunity to be able to say they believe those things. But like I said earlier, we're not saying simply, I believe God is Father uh, Maker, uh, God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. We're saying, I believe in God the Father. Uh, Corporately, collectively, we're saying, we believe in God the Father. For it's not enough to be saved, to simply say uh, that you believe that God is Father. Almighty maker of heaven and earth. There are a lot of people that believe that there was an intelligent designer, but they do not believe in that intelligent designer as God the Father Almighty who sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that no human has been able to live and to willingly lay down His life and die on the cross as our substitute to atone for our sins and cover our sins and who was buried in the tomb and rose from the dead on the third day to appear to many for 40 days on the earth and then to ascend to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
to believe God is that is very different than saying, I believe in God. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, pointed this out in James chapter 2.19 and saying, you believe that there's one God? Good. But even the demons believe that and they shudder. It's not enough for you. Uh, and, and maybe this describes some of you. You've had an intellectual uh, knowledge of who God is, and you believe it to be true. You believe the truth claims of the Bible and Christianity to be true. But have you ever put your faith in the God of the Scriptures? Have you ever put your faith in the Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord of the Scriptures? Have you ever put your faith in the Holy Spirit to seal you once and for all? If you have called yourself a Christian, even if you've been gathering together with us, even if on realm you have member next to your name, and yet you have never repented of your sins and put your faith in the God whom you've known intellectually about for years and decades since you were a child. Don't let this day go beyond uh, before you bow your heart, bow your head, repent of your sins, and go from believing uh, like a, believing that a chair can hold you to believing that it will hold you by sitting it. Go from believing that God can save you and trusting that He will save you. It's radically different. James, again, the brother of Jesus, pointed that out that even the demons believe and they shudder. John, in, the, in his first letter, in 1 John chapter 3.23, he says that this is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses. This is the reality of the New Testament. This is what God's Word tells us, how God's Word tells us to respond. Or Jesus' words in Matthew 10, verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Listen, every, you can meet people this week who will tell you uh, that they don't believe in God. And in some level and in some sense, that's true. And it was true of all of us until God opened our eyes to show us who He was and what He has done for us. But in another sense, that's not really true. Everyone believes in a God. Even an atheist uh, at a core heart level would believe in a God. They've simply made themselves that God to believe in and what they deem to be right and, and whole. Um, or people of other religions, they have other gods. It's not, we're not trying to convince ourselves that, uh, that people simply just need to believe, that they need to believe in this God. They need to believe in the one true and living God who showed us who He was through the image of Jesus Christ and whom Jesus, after dying and rising from the dead and ascending to heaven, sent His very Spirit to be with us forever. It's this God that we are talking about. And I want to close in reading from Mark chapter 9. 
I just want to read through a story and, and make a comment as we consider what it means to believe. For this is a, a great story of faith, and yet what it means to struggle in the midst of faith. Jesus uh, had taken Peter, James, and John up onto a mountainside to, to pray and to uh, really experience a bit of Jesus' glory and His Godhood be displayed for them in what we call the transfiguration. And so on that mountaintop, uh, Jesus revealed His glory and really shined before Peter, James, and John. At the same time, Moses and Elijah had appeared and Peter jumped out there and said, hey, why don't I build some tents for all three of you and we can just have a camp out. We'll just stay here all night. We've got Jesus. We've got Moses. We've got Elijah. We've got these three great people to which God speaks out loud in that moment and says, no, no, no. Jesus is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And after they got rebuked and came down the mountain, now there was some arguing happening among the rest of the disciples that didn't get to go up on the mountain. And they come upon this crowd, and, and this is the, the setting. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Him, were greatly amazed and ran up to Him and greeted Him. And He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And I would note it's uh, an evil spirit, a spirit whom James said earlier believes that God is one and yet shudders in the face of God's Son, Jesus. And often the demons will call him the Son of the Most High God in the Gospels. In verse 18, it goes on and says, Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, and when the Spirit saw him, Immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this, been has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But here Mark gives us more insight into what's happening uh, in this story. The, the father continues and says, But if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. To which Jesus said to him, If you can, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe in God the Father Almighty. You could almost hear Him say, Maker of heaven and earth. And that you, Jesus, who are standing right before Me, are His Son, our Lord, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He wouldn't know this exactly, but who would go on to suffer under Pontius Pilate and be crucified, dead, and buried, uh, and yet to be raised from the dead. He's saying, I believe, and yet acknowledged in the midst of his belief, but Lord, help me in my unbelief. When you say, I believe, I was helped by this comment by one of our brothers this week. When you say, I believe, you're not saying, I know everything. You're not saying, I know how to explain everything. I know how to answer every question. I know every doctrine. I know every Bible verse. I know, every, I know everything about everything. You're saying, I believe this. 
and I believe in him. And that's all that matters. And I'm going to grow in my knowledge. And I'm going to grow in my understanding. And I'm going to grow in my maturity. And I'm going to grow in my obedience. I believe. Oh, Lord Jesus, help my unbelief. That ought to be our prayer this entire series. As we claim our beliefs in God, God's Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet, as we acknowledge, we don't know everything. We still need to learn. We still need to walk by faith better. We still need to obey better. Praise be to God in verse 25. When Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of Him and never enter Him again. And after crying out and convulsing Him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. If God, God's son, Jesus, had power over uh, disease and uh, death even at times, and even the demons here, uh, he has power uh, over sin because he conquered sin and death. Uh, and if we die before Christ Jesus returns, we know that he will resurrect our bodies one day to live eternally with him forever in heaven. Uh, the creed even makes mention and note of that. And so we together as a church, we want to spend these next months considering these lines of this creed, considering what we believe individually, but also corporately as a church, acknowledging that this is not what everyone uh, in the world believes. This is not whom everyone has believed in. And yet we want to do our part, remembering Romans 10, 13-17 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. We want to be the people believing these things and yet asking the Lord to help us in our unbeliefs. Going out and saying to the world, this is who God is. This is who I believe Him to be. I have put my faith in Him for my salvation. Why wouldn't you do it the same? There is a day coming when He will return to judge the living and the dead. Before He returns, would you repent and believe in Him and have the opportunity to tell of whom they can call upon and believe in to be saved themselves? Church, yes, we believe these things, but others are not going to believe in Him on whom you have believed or call to Him in whom you have called unless you go preaching, proclaiming, sharing the good news of the Gospel. The Gospel that this creed summarizes so well. And so I'm looking forward to uh, this series together as we all grow in our knowledge and understanding, but our faith deepens as well. And might we... Uh, understand, uh, I was reminded of this, this part in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, might we experience this same realization as we realize more and more who God is. Lucy said to Aslan, you're bigger. And he said back to her, this is because you are older, little one. She said back to him, not because you are. And he says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I pray that as we go through this series, 
God can't get any bigger. He can't get any greater. But I pray that our knowledge of Him uh, would grow, that we would see Him bigger, uh, more of who He is in our lives, that more people around you would see Him as He is because you describe Him as such, because you live out your faith as such, uh, because you live obediently as such. That's my prayer for us. That's my hope for us in these next months. I pray you would join me in praying that kind of prayer and and attempting to see that happen uh, together as a church. Let's pray. Father, show us who you are. Show us who your Son is in your Word. Holy Spirit, reveal um, who you are and what you've done in and through the Scriptures. Lord, strengthen us. The faith that You have once given to us by grace that we had received as a gift from You, help us to live out in Your strength and in Your might. God, I pray that You would help us be solidified on the truths that we hold fast as Christians that we hold fast as members of this local church. Lord, grow our knowledge and understanding of You to see You more like You really are. God, I pray that if there's a person here who has believed that You are God, Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and yet has not believed in You, has not repented of their sins and trusted You to walk all of their days by faith in obedience to You, Lord, I pray that they would take that step of faith. Or like we talked about regarding the chair, take that seat of faith alongside You. God, I pray for those whom we will interact with this week that You would prepare the soil of their hearts to hear the good news of the Gospel. Uh, Lord, that You'd give us boldness and courage to say, I believe. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us courage to open our mouths when we have the opportunity. Lord, we confess, we believe. Help our unbelief when we're fearful when we're scared, when we're tempted, when we're tried. Lord, help our unbelief in those moments. Let it be a sign of assurance that You are with us as You strengthen us in those moments. Lord, as we sing this closing song and hymn of praise, which is our only right response to You for who You are and for what You've done, I pray You would unify us in these gospel truths in song and in word in closing. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.